Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Mindshift Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clint Haycock. As always, I've got a returning guest this week. We have been talking about this episode for a very long time, and I finally had a chance to sit down, edit it, and put it all together. I've got Andrew Jasko, who's been on the show a few times before. He's a therapist in the sort of San Francisco area of California, and he is an expert, or I should say he's becoming an expert on the use of treating PTSD and religious trauma syndrome through psychedelics. And as I said, I've been talking about this episode for a long time. Apologies to Andrew for taking so long to get this out. We actually recorded this quite a while ago. I have been super busy. A lot of stuff has come up in the news, and I wanted to get other episodes out. So finally, here we go. We are talking finally about treating PTSD and RTS with psychedelics. And Andrew, as I say, is becoming an expert on it. What I wanted to say, too, is that I've got a lot of really cool episodes in the pipeline as well, so stay tuned for those. I talked just the other day with Emily Elizabeth Anderson, and she runs the Thriving Forward Facebook page, and the reason she came to my attention is because recently, of course, if you've been following the news at all, we heard that Josh Duggar of the sort of 19 Kids and Counting fame, he was, along with his family, a poster child for... Bill Gothard's ATI homeschooling curriculum and the Bill Gothard cult. Now, both Emily and I, we were involved in that cult. She was far more into it than me. She was actually homeschooled and met Bill Gothard. I'm not going to give too much away, but this is a fantastic episode talking with Emily about the ins and outs of the Bill Gothard cult, the ATI movement, and then we get into talking about Josh Duggar and some of the news that's come out around his arrest for child pornography, and how that relates to the teachings within the Gothard system. So that is a fantastic episode coming up with Emily Elizabeth Anderson of Thriving Forward. I also wanted to mention a couple of things before we get into this conversation with Andrew. My audio on this podcast recording is not great. Fortunately, Andrew sounds really good. Me, not so much. The reason for this was that I had just moved my studio into another room in our house And I was in the process of dialing in my microphone, so it doesn't sound great. You can hear me, but as I said, I'll apologize in advance for my own bad audio. Hopefully, I've sorted that out by now. The other thing I wanted to mention was a big thank you to Anne, who's the latest supporter of this show on Patreon. The links for that are in the show notes. If you want to be a part of our ever-growing, ever-expanding community, really supportive, helpful community. In fact, as I'm doing this recording, we are going to have our patrons only call for the month of May coming up this weekend and then later on we've got a mind shift zoom call which again is for people who support the show on patreon our closed facebook group we have got Lisa and Jarrett from igotout.org who were guests on the show not that long ago so those are really cool benefits for supporting the show on patreon if you want to find out more about that how you can join our community the links to that are in the show notes So let's get on into this discussion 
with Andrew Jasko. Finally, sorry, apologies to Andrew for taking so long to get this episode out, but I think you're really going to enjoy this chat with Andrew as we talk about treating religious trauma syndrome with psychedelics. I am back talking with Andrew Jasko. We actually talked not that long ago. What was it? Maybe four or five months ago. We talked about religious trauma. So we're going to revisit that, but with a new twist this time. So welcome back, Andrew. Hey, it's great to be here. So we talked about religious. We've actually done a couple episodes over the last few years on religious trauma syndrome or RTS. So as a therapist, I know you see clients quite regularly that suffer from RTS can you give us kind of an overview of what actually RTS is? Yeah, that's right. So I'm a therapist trainee in the state of California, which means I'm pre-licensed working on my clinical hours, seeing clients under supervision. And I'm also a religious trauma coach. So that's a separate practice where I help people heal from the impact of religious indoctrination and also find a healthy connection to what you might call spiritual or greater humanity, meaning and purpose that works for them that's not defined by some kind of outside system, something that feels authentic and empowering. So I write, I have a lot of articles on lifeafterdogma.org. You can check this out. And I would say religious trauma has to do with the damage that's caused by controlling religious ideologies and communities and how that impacts our psychological health, our physical health, our relational health, economic, all kinds, because religious trauma is systemic. These kinds of fundamentalists controlling abusive religions make a total claim on one's identity and life. So the abuse is really far-reaching, uh, but I especially focus on the psychological. So how it can result in things like depression, low self-esteem, feeling powerless, feeling like you can't even make decisions, you can't trust yourself, uh, and that you really need someone else to take care of you. You've outsourced your power to this system of control, this deity, this religious text, this community of people. And coming out of that, really almost not knowing who you are and really having this sense of being crushed and worthless and sinful and maybe having a lot of fear and anxiety because of judgment, maybe even having something that looks like an anxiety disorder or depressive disorder or OCD. There are all kinds of mental health issues that can emerge from the kind of severe control that comes from this religious indoctrination. So that's what I work with people to heal, to regain a sense of agency and power, a sense of stability, to come to terms with a new sense of meaning and purpose, with fear of death, with uh, making new community in the world outside of the religious system. But this is the ultimate irony. We may have touched on this before. Religion promises us so much, doesn't it? It promises us everything, salvation, eternal life, enlightenment, whatever the religion that we were a part of. And yet, as we find out in so many cases, it causes all sorts of traumas. I mean, doesn't that seem like the ultimate irony <laughs> that a system that's supposed to be freeing and, and we experience forgiveness and healing, and it actually does damage? It's pretty amazing. It really is, yeah. 
it's it's pretty mind-boggling how it so often does the exact opposite of what it promises. And I think a lot of that has to do with a bypassing of agency. You could call it the human spirit or the soul. It's this outsourcing of one's power and oneself. Um, it's it's almost like a spirit possession, mm. so so to speak. It's it's like being controlled and uh, gaining your power in an unhealthy way by giving it away. Uh, it, it's kind of like the reverse of of how it it should actually go about doing that. Mm-hmm. So we're giving up our human agency, giving it over to let's say a deity. In my case, in your case, we came out of evangelical Christianity. So that's our kind of our worldview, wasn't it? For so many years, let go and let God, let Jesus take the wheel. You know, you, you, you turn it over to God in prayer and all these things. You're taking that agency of our own self-determination and handing it over to a deity, I guess. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And it's based on the idea that separation, uh, it's based on, the idea of separation, that salvation is something to be found outside of oneself, that God and the divine are essentially separate from nature, from humanity, that it's something we can't really grasp. It has to be mediated or given to us from above or from beyond. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered, especially through things like psychedelics, meditation, different forms of contemplative practice, that all of these things are accessible from within and from my connection to humanity and to nature, that all of these kinds of so-called miraculous things, or maybe not all of them, but, but a lot of the elements of them are available from going inward, from tuning in and from connecting, but never leaving one center. Right. So what's your own experience? Because I know we've been messaging back and forth in preparation for this podcast now but you told me before that you've experimented with psychedelics. You had experienced religious trauma in your background. How did you end up getting there uh, in your own experiences? Yeah, no single thing has been more healing for my religious trauma than psychedelics. And maybe I'd put therapy right up there with mm-hmm. psychedelics. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Obviously, and- that's the first port of call. For, you're thinking, oh, well, if I have religious trauma syndrome, I need to seek a therapist. And that would be a a pretty straightforward approach, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. And we can get into protocol and risks and all of that and how to Mm -hmm. safely take them. But just to get into sort of my experience of them and the power, I would say that psychedelics are miraculous medicines. Like, Mm. I I feel like I have to use that kind of a a word, that they are mind-blowing, reality-bending, and that they really treat some of the elements of religious trauma in an an entirely different and unique way. And and it's not just the psychedelics because what psychedelics bring is the mystical experience or expanded states of consciousness. It's about the expanded state of consciousness. And this is not so much about the drug or the molecules because psychedelics interact with our brain chemistry, our natural brain chemistry. It's almost like they flip a switch in the brain and access these brain states that can happen with other methods too, like meditation, sweat lodges, 
uh, shamanic drumming, sound healing. There are other ways besides psychedelics to access these same kinds of expanded states of consciousness that are basically inherent to our, our brain chemistry and our humanity. And so what a lot of people find is that psychedelics help them to access these other aspects of human consciousness and that then we find ways of, of integrating that and even accessing those without the drug. So really what's known to be healing about the psychedelic isn't so much the pharmacology, although that can also have healing properties, but it's the psychological content of the experience. It's the journey. And that isn't just tied to the psychedelic medicine. So psychedelics are being researched heavily. It's being called the psychedelic renaissance right now, the mm. age of research that's happening because they've been shown to be incredibly effective to treat a host of mental health conditions and disorders like major depressive disorder, OCD, uh, things like anorexia, drug addiction, especially drug addiction. Mm. And the list goes on and on and on of their applications. And they're sh shown to, I mean, psychedelic assisted therapy for PTSD, treatment resistant PTSD, for instance, uh, MDMA is being used with psychotherapy. And they've shown in something like 70 ish percent. 66 to 70 ish percent of people who've undergone these three sessions of MDMA therapy and other psychotherapy sessions have seen total remission, total remission of PTSD. So wow. this is the power of these medicines and mushrooms, psilocybin containing mushrooms are being researched for curing, literally curing or treating, not always curing, but often curing major depressive disorder. So this is unprecedented in psychiatry and in therapy in many ways, uh, too. It's absolutely amazing. And why they're so powerful, well, I guess I can talk here about my experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how did you get there? Yeah, when I initially left Christianity and Many people who've already heard me have heard my story that I grew up in an evangelical fundamentalist background, was 100% all in, became a minister and a missionary, and ended up leaving the fold because I experienced mental health issues as a result of my religion. And I was desperate to be healthy because, like you said, my religion was delivering the exact opposite of what it was promising. Instead of healing my trauma, it was creating trauma religious trauma syndrome. Yeah, so I, I, exactly. So yeah. I eventually left my religion and what I went into after that was philosophical materialism, which is the philosophy that everything is matter and that the material world is all that there is and uh, sort of generally comes along with a Darwinian view that survival of the fittest is the overall operating principle. Mm -hmm. And for many people, that's sort of it. it it's like we're, we're fighting a war against death and we're, we make our best. There's no inherent meaning and purpose. Uh, and we just try to find it and figure it out. And we're in this losing battle and we die and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of like, this is what science says. This is what we know. This is it. Uh, and not to say that a lot of that isn't true. I think a lot of it 
is on, on a certain level. But what that was like experientially for me, and I think for a lot of people, was pretty devastating, was really bleak. Like this fall from this total grandiose, very meaningful, very purposeful view of the universe where we're all connected. We all have, there's this divine plan happening. I'm never alone into boom, reality is the opposite. You know, you, Uh, there's no real spiritual thing. It's all what we see and feel and uh, we're we're alone and and death is it. And and that's really it. And you just got to kind of figure out a meaning that works for you. uh So this was very, traumatizing in and of itself, uh, feeling like I was, I felt disconnected. I felt like I was alone in a random meaningless universe. And in this battle against death that I couldn't win, it felt very nihilistic. Like what's the point of anything? You know, we just Mm -hmm. live and die. And then we're just playing this game sort of, and it was like, sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Growing, even though it's pointless. Exactly, exactly. And it was sort of like rationality was lifted to the highest principle of existence that you just have to make the most logical choices that we we do our best with our mind elevated to the highest place. And so I, I started taking psychedelics actually through my exposure to Burning Man, this festival. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed. My mind was completely blown And I found that it really helped me heal from depression, just the the depression and and the fallout of of leaving that religion from self-esteem issues and from anxiety, from my fear of death. And it helped me gain a new sense of meaning and purpose. So I think for a lot of people who leave a religion, they often find healing in many areas. But I think the sense of meaning and purpose and connection to something that feels greater and really a why to why we're here, it can often be missing in one of the last things or, or left out entirely. Uh, and also dealing with our fear of death uh, and with a sense of aloneness and isolation. And so for me, this completely reversed that. So I think many people never move from healing into a sense of vibrant aliveness, like a vital sense of, purpose and you could say joy and love and something that was really promised in religion and I think is is available to us and that it's easy to stop short of these things. So this is part of what psychedelics brought me into was this experiential connection with nature and with the deep parts of myself helping me to integrate and heal and confront my past and my traumas, but also really the, this, this reality that was quite different from religion and also what I had been presented with in a certain version of a philosophical materialism, of, which is sort of, I think, a mechanistic universe where the universe is like a machine. There's no aliveness to it in a lot of ways there's no inherent meaning it's just this thing that is yeah, very impersonal. There, there's laws to it and it's mechanical and it's wound up and it, it, it's random and, and it's like where's the life in that where's the consciousness and intelligence in that and i think that worldview was really almost like we're separate from nature 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and, and the languaging of it is that too, like we're destroying the environments, uh, suggests that we're not a part of it. We're literally destroying ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like we're the intelligence trying to master through our technological advancement that this dead, unintelligent universe. So it's like we emerged from this universe. Our intelligence has emerged from it. We're intimately connected to everything else that's happening here. The universe peoples, the universe uh, gives birth to consciousness and intelligence. And what many people who experience the psychedelic experience find is that there's a way in which our consciousness is expanded and can actually connect with a sense of aliveness in a tangible way that's actually outside of the mind that there's the universe is not something that is just out there in a way it's in mm-hmm. here and we're connected to it so psychedelic can help us get there but now going back to your own experiences you were talking about you took some psychedelics at burning man so it wasn't part of an actual course of therapy was it i mean burning man isn't exactly what your therapist wouldn't uh, prescribe, hey, spend a weekend at Burning Man and take some psychedelics. So how did you come to this kind of more therapeutic side of it as a therapist? Yeah, that's right. And the reason for that is because they've been criminalized and stigmatized so heavily in our society. And there's a whole historical reason for that as well. But psychedelics have been used around the world for thousands of years in a, and held in a very reverent way as healing medicines, as spiritual medicines that help to connect people with each other and with nature itself. And to really help us to understand that we have a role to play in this evolution thing. That evolution itself is, is purposeful. It, something is happening here that, that's greater than our intellectual understanding of it. And that through accessing that, through connecting to it, we can find our own personal healing and evolution and our space in that. So for me, I just discovered it from what I heard about it, from people telling me that how powerful they were for their own healing. And I discovered it on my own, that these were so potent in transforming my life and helping me to confront and heal from my fear of death, my existential dread and isolation, aloneness, uh, feeling separate. And then I discovered after the fact that they were being heavily researched for use in therapy and that they had in fact been researched for many decades before. Mm-hmm. And, but now it, it's finally becoming a more acceptable thing. And they are legal in certain settings as well. They're legal for usage in therapy. They're legal in certain religious contexts. So there are churches. They're not really churches in the traditional sense because basically mm-hmm. they're people who hold ceremonial spaces and cont- safe containers for people to experience this. And it's held as like a, a sacred experience. So through that, they're able to have the right to practice under religious freedom, mm-hmm. which is how it should be anyway. We should have the right to explore our, our minds and spirituality and healing uh, through the use of plants that grow naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But I, I discovered that they were being used therapeutically after the fact, but it's obvious from the experience when you're directly healing your traumas and being guided by this, this medicine or this experience 
that's literally unraveling your your traumas and your history and bringing you to into an experience of meaning and purpose and healing on its own that that is the psychedelic journey is in itself a therapy that it, it's basically a very an intensive kind of therapy session combined with these mystical spiritual type elements and again if you're not comfortable with the word spiritual um, it's it's how people tend to describe the experience because they it sort of expands our concept of the the material realm and our state of consciousness and gives a sense of reverence and sacredness and, and profoundness and transcendence. So you don't have to use that term if you're not comfortable. It, it really has nothing to do with one's religious predisposition or lack thereof. It's what, what I say is like, if you're drawn to these medicines and you're doing so in, in a safe way, you're aware of the risks and all of that, then um, what matters is the experience. What you make of it is up to you. I'm more concerned that people are finding their healing and transformation and what, what you say about it and the philosophy is, is sort of a different thing and not the primary thing. Mm -hmm. But what are the risks? Because you mentioned earlier the stigma attached to it. And I was thinking when you were describing some of these experiences, my mind goes back to guys like Timothy Leary and other people, you know, a few decades back and, they promised so much, you know, LSD was going to be a mind altering drug, which it was, you could certainly say it was, you know, but it was going to expand our consciousness and it was going to do all these great and wonderful things. And maybe it does. I don't know that much about it. I'm no expert, but obviously it can be abused and it can lead to all sorts of things that were negative, you know, consequences. Do people push back when you start talking about psychedelics and say, Whoa, man, that is not for me. I'll stick with Western medicine or, you know, if the therapist tells me to take some medication, that's fine. I'll take medication for my anxiety or my PTSD or depression. Don't talk to me about taking psychedelics. Yeah. And psychedelics aren't for everyone and there are real risks. So I'm not suggesting that everyone should take them. By yeah. and large, though, they are pretty safe overall. The really the main concerns are. Uh, number one, medical, if like if there's some kind of heart issue or if you have a medication that interacts or, or is contraindicated with the substance, then it, it's important to research your medications and, and to go and prepare it and to know those interactions mm -hmm. or yeah, to consult with a medical professional. Yeah. So that's one thing. And also the way in which you take the psychedelic. So when people take a psychedelic, they're brought into these expanded states of consciousness that for the uninitiated person can sometimes be scary or, or difficult to navigate and can bring up our fears. And part of the healing is often facing some challenging emotions or fearful things and having healing in that with what comes up. So it's not necessarily always a pleasant or comfortable experience just like healing is in general yeah um, therapy is not always fun <laughs> exactly That's for sure. exactly yes so really having a good container a space where you feel safe and supported and also a guide a sitter someone who is there with you who's there to support you if not a therapist at least someone who can support you not doing these things just alone by yourself 
in some kind of a, a loud environment where you don't feel comfortable, that's a setup for a less pleasant experience. Yeah. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. But then there are the, the people who it's really contraindicated for are people who have a history of psychosis or psychosis in their family or maybe certain forms of bipolar disorder because that can trigger those kinds of states for people with a, a sort of fragile ego structure or who have these predispositions that, that psychedelics can aren't, aren't necessarily going to be a healing or pleasant experience with that. Mm-hmm. So what are you actually describing? I think you mentioned a couple different drugs. When you say the word psychedelics, what does that actually mean? Because I think my mind goes straight to LSD and that kind of thing. What are you talking about in terms of the actual drugs themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so psychedelics, it's this big catch-all term for mm-hmm. substances that cause alterations in, in consciousness and expanded state, visionary states of, of consciousness and awareness of trans-symbolic states so states of consciousness that go beyond the thinking and intellectual realm mm-hmm. and, and even the sense of an individual self beyond the ego. The ego is how we experience ourselves as individual separate entities. And a lot of these experiences take people into a, a feeling of oneness and merger with nature, with other people. Uh, even with the whole universe. So these, this, ver- this whole realm of human experience that's possible that we don't traditionally access in our regular waking consciousness, what psychedelic substances do is they will open up these ways that the brain can function that are, are not that ordinary state of consciousness. And there's a lot of research on the, the neurobiology of how that works. Uh, One of the main theories is that they can loosen or tamper down an area of the brain called the default mode network, which is connected to the prefrontal cortex. And it has to do with the narrative mind, with really the ego structure, the sense of self, our sense of time, uh, doing tasks, the sense of planning in the future. And in that mental structure, there's often a lot of rigid thinking rigidity around our way, our worldview, our way of viewing the world. And often depression can, and these mental health issues can be related to rumination, being stuck in one's mind and regular way of processing. So when that is lessened, these other parts of the brain communicate with each other that don't normally communicate, or we're opened up to other things that are happening in the brain that we're not usually aware of. And so there's a lot of different brain activity that's being researched that's happened there. So people are able to feel these expanded states of consciousness when say the egoic sense, uh, the separated self is lowered. And a lot of people in psychedelic communities think that the content of these experiences aren't just generated by the minds, that they're not just hallucinations, that hallucination is a word with a certain bias. It's basically judging the experience as as fake, as false, as being produced purely by the minds and the brain and, and chemistry. 
And that's true to a certain extent. There is that happening. Psychedelics do amplify what's in the mind and we can see things that are a reflection of our inner world. But a lot of the content of these experiences people find are not explained by merely what we've experienced and imagined what's in our minds that we're confronted with these realities of, of things and entities and symbols and messages that we've never experienced or had any exposure to. And people are literally coming up with inventions in the psychedelic space and seeing the inventions. And I mean, this happens without psychedelics too, like artists and, and physicists will describe this of, of literally like seeing this thing or are having this intuitive experience of their discovery and their breakthrough. Like it's not something they thought up with in this very linear sense. And, and where did that came, come from and how did that happen? Well, th there could be a mix of different things. But so a lot of people theorize that what happens is kind of like the brain has different radio frequencies and you open up these other channels of perception. So it's not just inside the mind. It's like almost like different senses that are being opened up or that we're already having these interactions maybe with the outside or material world in, in these other realms of consciousness. There's a, there might be a real interaction that's happening there that we're able to perceive through the psychedelics. So it's both and, I think. It's, yeah, it's, it's a whole new realm of possibilities. What about PTSD? Because we talked last time about the correlation between religious trauma syndrome and things like PTSD or just general trauma that's not, not attached to religion, like combat veterans and things mm -hmm. like that. Someone sent me an article maybe a couple of years ago about some police officers in Canada that were suffering from severe PTSD because of their work. And they, one, of them, one or two of them ended up going down to South America and doing some religious sort of shamanic experiences. I think it was in Peru or Chile. And it involved taking peyote and some other things. It was part of this religious sort of spiritual experience. And they had huge breakthroughs in terms of their PTSD. So is that kind of a similar thing you're describing? Yes, PTSD is being heavily researched for psychedelic treatment. And I mean, I am involved heavily in the psychedelic community. So I go to events all the time. I'm part of many groups and organizations that are actively researching these things and actively taking them and exploring them and coming together and talking about our experiences. So PTSD is one of them. And we can go into really how psychedelics heal here. Uh, what do they actually do? So psychedelics are the drug that don't drug away your problems. It's almost the opposite. Like I said, it's it's a therapeutic experience. They make you face your problems. Right. Uh, so, problems it's, so it's yeah. deep digging. You, you won't be able to avoid them. Um, but that's not necessarily a reason to be terrified either because it's a healing process. So like I said, we can often get to these states through other means. And a lot of mystical traditions have developed practices that are not widely integrated into a traditional Western paradigm because we've, I think, rejected these practices as unscientific because mm -hmm. they contain elements that remind us of our historical religious trauma that we've kind of dubbed as bad or evil or sinful almost in a way, <laughs> the reverse mm -hmm. of what religion done because they, they don't fit that 
that kind of a frame easily or neatly. Uh, but, but now we're beginning to reintegrate them. Now scientists are taking these very seriously and studying them. And, and we're bringing together a lot of traditional indigenous wisdom, a lot of the wisdom of mystical frameworks and contemplative practice within Eastern traditions. So I think what's beautiful is the integration that's happening around these things. It's not an either or. It's not a rejection of science in the Western framework or a rejection of these other traditions, but it's a, a critical integration of all of them. And we have things to learn on all the angles. And what happens in, in expanded states of consciousness is the direct experience takes us directly to the core of our wounds, is that it, it's an experience of, of being guided by by the medicine or by the unfolding of a journey in your mind, these visionary states, seeing visuals and having uh, sort of messages and, and thoughts come into your mind that will often bring people directly to the origin and core of their wounds. And what people tend to do is bring an intention into their psychedelic journey. It's sort of like a prayer, but a prayer that actually gets answered. So like I said, these kind of religious things have a, a, a different way of being framed in these experiences. So in these medicine circles, people will say, what's your intention? My intention is to heal from my relational trauma that resulted from, from my abuse and the way I have these unhealthy relationships with men because of that abuse or for me to understand my anxiety or for me to heal from my PTSD. Mm -hmm. And so it seems that that intention tends to get answered. That tends to get addressed then in the psychedelic session. It's almost like the, the medicine itself is, is experienced as a guiding consciousness and shamans call it an, an entity, an intelligence or a spirit. Mm -hmm. And that actually is the felt content of the experience. Again, you can, conclude what you want. I, I don't think it matters. So maybe it is just your brain. The end result is the same, is that there's this experience of being guided into these key moments of one's life when, say, maybe you had a trauma that resulted in your addiction. And it can also help us to access pre-verbal and non-verbal traumas, to actually go into these states of things that we can't even explore with our words uh, birth trauma is one of the ones that's actually often experienced through breath work. Holotropic breath work is people having these experiences of, of being born and like having some kind of a traumatic incident in the birth control. And, and then throughout life, they felt stuck and uh, just kind of like unable to break through. And so they have these experiences of this birth thing, and then they'll have this whole healing, their whole world being broken open. And it's like, you know, the, this is not something you can access through a lot of, of traditional means. So, and yeah. these expanded states open up nature's healing process. And it's almost like healing is an intelligent and a natural process that has its own wisdom to it. And that the psyche knows how to heal itself and how to unfold and how to guide. And that this is facilitated through this experience and we're able to gain awareness of our unresolved wounds from a, a more resourceful state, from a, a state of awareness of compassion and empathy. So it's not just that we gain awareness intellectually of the wounds, but we come at it from an adult perspective and from a compassionate, empathic awareness. 
And then the psychedelic experience tends to bring people to a state of catharsis and new emotional state, some kind of a, a gift out of the trauma, uh, some kind of a, an experience that brings the thing from trauma and disempowerment to a sense of empowerment, a new narrative, a new meaning behind it. So it's sort of this all-in-one package, this cleansing and then repurposing and, and renewal and life vitality, I think, that's on the other side of trauma that we often don't get to through traditional means. Often people can access their traumas and know what, the, what it is and still be stuck in it. And this mm-hmm. tends to take people to that other set, other to side other too. Yeah. Well, what would it look like? I mean, walk me through it. Like if I was coming to you as a, as a client suffering from PTSD or RTS, and we determined that I was a good candidate for a, tr- a course of treatment involving psychedelics. Is it a guided experience? I mean, I know there's, there's many different kinds of experiences. They're not, it's not a one size fits all, but you're not going to just give somebody something and turn them loose on the streets, are you? Is it, is it a guided thing? How does it actually work? Yeah, great cr- question. So people who guide psychedelic ceremonies, whether they're therapist or some other kind of practitioner working in the undergrounds. And I'm, I fully support people who are underground practitioners because while these substances are being researched, people are dying and suffering because of their mental health. And I'm part of me think we don't have time for this on some level. And that, People have been working in these healing arts for centuries and their work is needed. So I fully respect the risks that they take. Mm. But there's also a lot more mainstream acceptance of these things. I mean, ceremonies are being advertised online and and right. there's and uh, people are, are getting pretty bold because of the awareness that's happening. So when someone comes to a ceremony. I mean, typically there's some work that's done beforehand and, and in all therapy settings, they'll, ha- they'll have some sessions with the clients beforehand, kind of going into it, preparing, understanding what can happen, what kinds of experiences you can have, how to relate to those experiences. Um, so like if, if a difficult emotion comes up or, or some kind of fear or some kind of image that you don't like, you can't stop the experience like in normal life, but what you can do is relate to it differently, relate to it with a sense of curiosity and observe the emotion. Oh, this is fear. This image I don't like. That's interesting. And ask it, what, what can you teach me? What do I have to learn from this? And really relating, learning to relate to our emotions differently, which is invaluable in real life too. that lesson that uh, fear isn't bad, that shame isn't bad, that it contains a lesson within it. And often what's happening there is we're being shown our fears and unpleasant emotions so that we can heal them and, and to gain an understanding of what's happening in our unconscious mind. But so typically what happens is that there's an initial phase of the psychedelic where it's, it's like an autobiographical phase where people start to see and understand the trajectory of their mental health issue, how it developed, the stories that they have believed in, their thinking around it, their limiting beliefs around it. That starts to come to the surface and people, mm-hmm. more or less the therapist supports and guides it out. Uh, the person itself gains the awareness of, of the healing processes happening in their mind 
And then there's a stage of the psychedelic where it, it, it comes on more powerfully, uh, depending on the psychedelic, where there's more of a visual visionary stage. And the role of the therapist is to just create a safe, comfortable environment to check in with them. Typically, the person lies down with eye shades on and there's music playing and just really surrenders to the experience and to the journey. Mm -hmm. And by the way, most of this, the experience is is blissful and healing, I think, most of the time. And I, I'm saying that these fearful kinds of things can come up and that it's not always pleasant, but it's generally pretty awesome and pretty mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. And what uh, in, in studies, people report these experiences to be some of the most profound and life-changing experiences of their life. They have a sense of awe and wonder and just profoundness and connection and mystery. So again, some of these kind of religious type experiences that we yeah. were promised that I was promised that I never experienced until I, until I left my religion. I never experienced uh -huh. them until I went to psychedelics and through these means uh, that, that are basically all demonized and mysticism mm -hmm. is, is demonized mostly oh, yeah. uh, and forbidden. And I think for good reason, because it takes people into a worldview that tends to bring them into empowerment, into a sense of themselves. That's the opposite of where the, the religion wants you to go. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, but, but that, that tends to happen. And then when this journey comes to an end, the, there's generally a sense of euphoria as a result of the trauma that is cleared, the lessons that are learned, the new mm -hmm. perspectives that are gained, uh, the new emotions, the cathartic emotions, the open-heartedness, the expansive state, experiences of things like unconditional love, total belonging, total belonging to nature, uh, having an, an inherent meaning and purpose, and having some understanding. People often have experiences of, like I said, psychedelics are being used for technological breakthroughs people in the tech industry are intentionally using psychedelics mm -hmm. to to create new inventions and uh writers use these as well i get a lot of my writings <laughs> through these things mm -hmm. through through having these visionary experiences and uh, so people often come into a sense of of some new idea for their career and their vocation uh, and we mm -hmm. saw this in the 1960s. A lot of the countercultural movements were a direct result of psychedelics and the environmentalism, especially. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, in the in the session, then the therapist will often meet with the person and and go over the experiences that they have and help them integrate them into regular life. And mm -hmm. this is called psychedelic integration work. It's it's something I do in my coaching. I work with people not just with who are, are in religion, but also who are maybe outside of it and have issues and want to work on how do I integrate this into my everyday life? How do I process the experience? And so hopefully anyone who's taking these medicines will have an ongoing support system, a, a means of continuing to process these things that were opened up. And I, I strongly advise having that is not just having these experiences, the only thing that you do that, that there hopefully is a process to continue and deepen that healing work. Mm -hmm. How long does a session usually last? Because what you're describing cannot possibly be crammed into like a one hour typical therapy session. This must be uh -huh. several hours yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah. So it, it depends on the substance that's being used. And also a lot of people will describe this experience as like a decade of therapy in one session. It's that oh, profound and powerful. that deep. There's so much 
meaning and experience that that is really condensed into this one session. So for mushrooms, the journey is six to eight hours. Uh, for the San Pedro cactus, it's longer. It's like 12 hours. LSD is like 12 hours. Uh, so it depends. Ketamine is being used as well for treatment res- uh, for depression. And th- there are many, many substances, but iboga is a big one that's being used to treat addiction, especially opioids, crystal meth, mm-hmm. alcoholism. And this is a uh, a bark that comes out of a shrub in Africa. And the journey actually lasts about two whole days. It's wow. one of the most potent ones there is. Uh, so, and it, it really, um, it also stops the withdrawal symptoms from opioids. So that mm-hmm. has a separate pharmacological action. It's really amazing that nature has this, this addiction freeing drug. It's, it's like, it's like perfectly designed almost to help people come out of these massive addictions. And one of the things people tend to experience is a life review where they're taken to visionary states of all of the major events in their life where they, they develop this addiction and like seeing them in a vision and often guided through a, by a celestial being or by their ancestors or some mm-hmm. kind of a, a deity or godlike being and uh, really having these profound states and these profound insights. And then there's often a period of sobriety that's available for months that people will have where they're able to have this window of time and where they can make the changes they need to make. Again, because the drug itself doesn't do the work. You have to integrate into your mm-hmm. life. You still have to make the changes. It's not a magical solution. It is in a certain way, but, but it's all about living your life fully, not dissociating from it. You still have to do the work. Yeah. At the end of the day, it it may be opening up new avenues of realization, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you still have to make commitments and do your, do your due diligence. Well, now I'm thinking about people who are interested in this conversation. It's been a wide ranging conversation for sure, but where could they find more resources on? Because obviously you'd want to find somebody who's a specialist in this area this is, like you said, there are risks associated with it. It's not something you should enter into lightly, it sounds like, but you need to find a specialist who really knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. resources then? What, what kind of resources can you give us? There's a lot that I recommend. And I recommend that people find a local community. So there are many psychedelic societies. You can find Facebook groups or just research in your area. Mm-hmm. Decriminalizednature.org is a great organization. That's working on decriminalization efforts. There's a lot of grassroots things that are happening. So basically, go to events and talks. There are lots of events on the science and the research that are happening. Go to places where you can meet people and connect with people who are mm-hmm. into this, and you can right. learn about it and Do connect with communities. Yeah. yeah, and you can find ceremonies typically in your area just through going to these events and networking. Um, and then really there's a lot of organizations. Shakruna.net is one. Maps.org. The Third Wave is another one. There are so many. There's really infinite books and resources. Uh, I can give you some more as well. There are a lot of great books on the subject. So it, it's easy to find the resources right. and then to connect with, again, a live person who has training and who has experience. Um, yeah, that's important. Mm-hmm. And as far as the, the, the kinds of experiences um, that people will have, generally people don't walk around 
hitting their feet with a hammer. Mm-hmm. And why is that? It's because you experience your foot as a part of your body, right? It's hard to, to hurt what you experience as part of yourself. So sure. typically we don't experience in our regular egoic state of awareness, I don't experience you as a part of myself or I don't experience that tree as a part of myself. But in these expanded states of consciousness, we experience ourselves as say, like we don't experience ourselves as separate from the ecosystem in which we live. So once I expand and I feel my consciousness going past my body in, in a sense, again, is that mental or is it not? The impact is that it feels like nature is my body and I have a living connection to it. So it's harder to harm nature and people work to preserve it, to address this. So in my mind, a lot of the harms of really capitalism and materialism can stem out of a state of disconnection that can be connected to this philosophical materialism because if, if we're survival of the fittest, if, if that's all that there is, if that's the only mm-hmm. principle and that there's no inherent meaning and that we're fighting a war against death, uh, then we're isolated, then it makes sense to just live for ourselves and to have this view, well, we've got to extend our lives as long as possible. We've got to beat this. We've got to come up with a better system than what's already happening mm-hmm. in nature because with our two-bit nines, we know better um, and that mm-hmm. the intellect can do better. And so when we have a sense that there's aliveness outside of us and that that nature is something that we're a part of and that we connect to, and there's sort of a greater wisdom, again, not necessarily saying that's God in the monotheistic sense, but that we're a part of something that's been happening before intelligence came into being and that there are these other, other intelligences perhaps at work, then we start to take more of a collaborative approach to evolution, that this we're all in this group thing together and that that death is not a bad thing, that there's a, a rhythm of, of life and death and that we don't have to grasp so tightly onto our experience and that there's a liberation that happened, a, a moving with and as nature instead of against it and separate from it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is mind-blowing. Just listening to you describe it. Well, one <laughs> thing for sure that comes across is your passion about it. You know, It's not something that you're describing as, a, as an academic sort of researcher something that you've experienced personally, uh, like you say, in your own experience of psychedelics and your own breakthroughs. Yeah, right. And people who, who have these experiences tend to make statements about the ultimate nature of reality and the universe. And we might ask, why is that? Why, why are these experiences happening in this way if it is all inside the mind? And maybe it is, again. Um, but I, I think it's something that everyone has to really answer on their own. And I encourage everyone to make their own conclusion. Well, it sounds fascinating. One thing I, I was thinking of a couple things as you're describing it is number one, I mean, most of these psychedelics you're describing, they're natural. They're naturally occurring. You know, like you said, there's a bark from a tree in Africa or peyote or mushrooms. I mean, these things just grow or literally organically by themselves. People have been using them for thousands of years in shamanic and spiritual ceremonies. So there's no question that taking them will do something to you. There's no question about that. And it's just a question now, as you're saying, the, the research is kind of catching up, isn't it, with the, with the natural sciences, as it were. Well, if people are interested in finding out about this stuff, where can they get a hold of you? What's the best place? You mentioned your website. What's the best way to get a hold of you? 
Yeah. So again, I work with people who are healing from their religious trauma and wanting to really connect with this sense of meaning and purpose and wholeness and aliveness. And so I have a coaching program designed to do that. I also work with people with psychedelic integration work and who are interested in making these a part of their lives. I'm also going to be starting to plan actual psychedelic medicine retreats in person, ceremonies professionally facilitated for RTS, for religious trauma syndrome, and for other things. We should be able to facilitate these through uh, actually a medicine church or someone who's in the lineage, so actually in a legal way. Mm -hmm. So you can find my information at lifeafterdogma.org or look me up on Facebook. Well, listen, Andrew, thank you so much, man. I love the passion. Actually, it makes me think, okay, I might actually be interested in, in looking at some of the stuff you're describing because, yeah, I mean, I could see where that may help my own religious trauma. So thank you so much for sharing all this. I love the passion. Great. It's been a pleasure.